Let's read Psalm 23 together. This is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. We know God will bless that reading to us. I'd love you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23 again. Page 555 in these Bibles in the seats in front of you. I know as I turn to this this morning, there's a great risk in this because you lot all know Psalm 23 really well. I'm sure there's some people here who could recite Psalm 23 without the Bibles in front of you. You could just say it. There's nobody here, I'm sure, who doesn't know some part of Psalm 23. And actually, if you go out into the town around us with your neighbors and your friends or people you work with, if you started to, to recite Psalm 23, if you started to point to it and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't think there'd be too many people who wouldn't recognize some part of this particular psalm. But it's the context that most of us know this psalm in that sometimes causes us problems. As soon as we started reading it, I'm pretty sure that most of you began imagining a funeral service. Uh, it, when I was here, I had the privilege of sharing in, in lots of different funerals, and, and when I've moved to Lisbon over the last six and a half years, had to take funerals there too. This is the most common passage that anyone asks for in a, in a funeral. Read this, speak about this, to the point where it becomes really associated with funerals all of the time. So that when I'm going and visiting people in hospital, if I sit by the bed and chat to them for a while and then say, let me, let me read a little bit from the Bible, I'm going to read Psalm 23, they get really worried. <laughs> the thing is, this guy been talking to the nurses, I thought I was feeling a bit better. I was hoping to get home at the end of the week, but he's planning for the funeral. But it shouldn't be associated just with funerals. It's really helpful for people coming to the end of their life. It's really helpful for people who've been bereaved. But Psalm 23 is far greater than that. We're in harvest season and we can see all of God's provision around us. I think the burden of Psalm 23, that the thrust of Psalm 23 is telling us and reminding us and pointing to us a God who cares for us, a God who provides for us. You know those adverts on TV that say, here you have with us a complete care package, whatever kind of industry that, that suggests it, come to us and we'll meet every need that you have Psalm 23, in a way I think this morning, is telling us you can trust in God for your complete care package. There's nothing missing. It's not just at the end of life. Look how God provides for us and cares for us at every stage of life. So I want us to say three things. We're going to spend longer on the first one, so don't uh, get too worried if we spend a little bit longer talking about point one with the others. We'll rattle on a little bit quicker because I think the start of Psalm 23 is probably what we need to hear more just at the moment. We're going to look at our experience of God's care, what it looks like to be people who are under God's care. We're going to see what we still have to face in life, and we're going to see what is still to come for us when we belong to Jesus. Here's the first thing. What's our experience of God's care? 
We've already talked a little bit about uh, harvest here, and, and as Pete's prayed, he's talked about how uh, we have all these different things around us. There's not many of us here who are going to go hungry today, have uh, representations of the food that God provides for us. There's not many of us who struggle for, for food. We all have clothes, and not just clothes to keep us warm, but we have the clothes that we choose in, in most part. We have homes to, to be in with shelter over us. But even more than that, we've got phones and tablets and cars to take us places and holidays to go on. In lots of ways, we've never had it so good, have we? You know, when I talk to people, both inside and outside of the church, I find that we're a really discontent group of people. Whatever people have, there's always a hunger for more. There always seems to be a dissatisfaction with how life is for people. You know, the most common response I get when I say to people, how are things for you at the moment? How is life going for you? Is that they'll say, it's okay. It's all right. We're getting by. We're going from one week to the next. We're keeping going. It's not awful. It's okay. But there seems to be a, an underlying feeling, a suggestion in that, that there should be something better. I wish it was different. It's not all that it should be. Well, here's what David says in Psalm 1, in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And what you make of that verse. I can remember, you know how those images of, of your childhood sometimes come back to you? I can remember being a really young primary school child, I guess around the age of five. In the church that I grew up in, we had a Sunday school in the morning and then a service later on in the afternoon, evening time. I remember coming home from Sunday school and my mom was making lunch. She was cooking. And I, I brought the, the sheet that I'd been doing. It wasn't a very inventive uh, children's ministry. It was a coloring in sheet, you know. And, and it was Psalm 23, verse 1. And it had Psalm 23, verse 1 written out and I'd colored it in. Then it, I think it had a picture of a sheep and I'd you know, colored that in green or purple or something and, and said, look, here's what I've done. We did this verse today. We were learning about this today. The Lord is my shepherd, but I don't want him. Now, that's not what that verse means. And I don't think any of you really would have guessed that that's what it meant. That's my five-year-old mind working here. Here's what David is saying. The Lord is my shepherd, and when he is my shepherd, I don't need anything else. When the Lord is my shepherd, I don't want for everything, anything else. When the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. I wonder why you go to work, those of you that will head out to work tomorrow or, or maybe even this evening. Some of us go to work or, or try to fill our days with things that will make us satisfied, do something constructive and useful. Some of us will go to work just to make some money, but, but if you work some money, it's to buy something that will make you happy at the end, isn't it? If only I had enough money to buy this or, or to live here or to have this experience. Lots of people get married for that too. <laughs> I can't wait to get married when I'm in that relationship that everything will be fine. If only I was there. Of course, some people get divorced for the same reason. I just want to get out of this relationship. I, I'll find contentment in singleness and freedom and, and the ability to do my own thing. Young people, when you take an exams, it's, a, it's to get somewhere, isn't it? If I pass this exam, I'll be able to go and do this and then I'll be happy. It's not now, it's always later. For some of us, that's why we've come to church here this morning. You've come because you haven't found contentment and satisfaction in the whole of life and you've come here and you, you, you hope that maybe there's something here that will find it for you or maybe you've just given up. 
Perhaps you think okay is just as good as life will ever get. There is no contentment. There's no satisfaction. There's no real joy in life. There's just getting by. There's just going from one day to the next. But what if you could say with David, what if you could say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I need nothing else. I'm entirely content with him. What if you could say that this morning? Well, we need to see what he really means by this. What does David mean by the Lord being his shepherd? It's important to begin with that that David knew what a shepherd was. He spent at least part of his life working as a shepherd. So he understood the kind of tasks that a shepherd did, the kind of roles and responsibilities that they had. And so when he was describing God, this wasn't a foreign symbol for him. He, He understood what he was trying to say. Jesus in the New Testament separates out two different kinds of people who look after sheep, hired men and shepherds. The hired people, they were were just there for the paycheck. They were like supply teachers. They didn't care about the children. They weren't training them for an exam. They were just getting through the day and taking the money and going home. But the shepherd was different. The shepherd either owned the sheep, they were either his, or he'd been with them since they were lambs, that he'd grown up with them. Some of you have animals in, at home, you know how, how close you get to them, how they become part of the family. That's how a shepherd treated the, the sheep here. So when the hired man was looking after the sheep and, and thieves came to steal them away, he'd let them go, hey, that's beyond my paycheck, I, I'm not going to get involved in this. When wild animals came to attack, he would let them go. I'm not going to be hurting myself. I'm not going to put myself in danger. I'm, going to, I'm just going to step back. This is beyond what I'm getting paid for. But a shepherd, that was different. Shepherds would have stood up to the thieves coming to take away the sheep. He had to put himself in between the sheep and, and wild animals coming to attack. He had to put himself in danger to protect the sheep. You know, it's just the same uh, here today, I, I remember, you remember in the winter time when it was sn- really snowy, we had real big drifts of snow, I remember driving around and listening on the radio, they interviewed a, a woman, a shepherdess in Cumbria, around Carlisle Place, and, and they were saying to her, what are you going to be doing today? And she said, I, I've got to go out, I've got to go into the fields, my, my sheep are out there, some of them have no food, and, and some of them are trapped, and, and it's going to be really dangerous, I've got to go off the road and, and into the fields, and, and there's real big drifts of snow, and I'm going to put myself in danger, but I can do nothing else because those are my sheep and I've got to go after them. That's what David felt that God was for him. You see, he's not just saying that he has a shepherd, or he's not even saying that God is a shepherd. He is saying, the Lord, God, is my shepherd. It's in the present tense. You could actually translate that verse, the Lord is shepherding me. That was David's experience. That's what brought him this contentment. Whenever you see the word Lord like that, you see it's in capital letters in the Bible there. It's a translation of God's personal name. It's the way God revealed himself to the people. It's not just a God, it's the God. And when God revealed himself to the people, he revealed himself as the I am, the timeless one. Not the one who was or is or is to come, but all of those things. The one who always has been and always will be. The one who sits outside of time itself. And the one who is entirely self-sufficient. The one who needs nobody other than himself. And so David says, the Lord, the timeless one, the self-sufficient one, has become my shepherd. And the role of a shepherd was a really lowly one. It was a kind of place nobody else would take. I remember when I was um, teaching in, in Fort Hill College, I was a PE teacher in Lisbon then, um, and I, I got a few extra periods thrown in to fill the timetable up. One was a careers period, 
remember talking to some boys, I remember this really clearly, and saying, what do you want to do? What kind of qualifications do you need to take after you've finished here with your GCSEs? And, and one was saying, I want to be a teacher, and so I need to do these qualifications, and I need to go on and do that course. And I went to another boy, and he said, I, I want to be a teacher too, but it's okay, I don't need to go to university, I just want to be a PE teacher. <laughs> I, I knew my place in the rankings of the school, and actually a shepherd was just like that. It was the bottom rung. Remember, some of you will remember this really, really well. David's life when he, was, um, when, he was, when he was chosen as king of Israel, Samuel came to anoint him. He says, where's all the children? One of them's gonna be the king, and they all came out one at a time. And Samuel said, no, not this one, not this one. Have you any left? Yeah, the youngest one, he's out in the fields, looking after the sheep. Because everyone else had taken the turn, you see, and then the younger one had come along, and then it was his turn to go out and do that. It was the job that nobody else wanted to do, the lowest job. You see, David is saying here, the Lord, the timeless one, the self-sufficient one, is my shepherd. He's become to me this role, the capable one, cares for me deeply. And that's the message of the gospel. That's the message of Jesus, that that Jesus, identifying himself as the great shepherd, comes to us, the the timeless one, the self-sufficient one, the one who exists apart from us, who's so much greater than us, takes the lowest role to become a shepherd for people like us so that we can know satisfaction and contentment in life like David does too. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verses 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Everything that promises fulfillment in your life, everything that you chase after, hoping for contentment to be found there, is the thief. It only comes to take your life away. But here is this Jesus who lays down his life for us, who goes to the cross to Rescue us so that we can be forgiven, so that we could know him again, so that we could be in relationship with God. He pays for our rebellious choices. The capable one is the caring one for us here, and it fulfills us entirely. If you know this Jesus to be your shepherd today, then you can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. There's nothing else required But it's not just an understanding of that. It's just not the knowledge of it. It also means that we change how we live. It changes how we feel. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I don't know very much about sheep. I'm not very good with harvest services because I just don't fit into those circumstances at all. I sometimes I've swapped with other people in different years and gone to real rural congregations where it's a really big deal and I feel really out of my depth with all that. I don't know how sheep react to life, but I've listened to other people who do. So this is not my experience, but it's others that I'm passing on. Sheep apparently are not able to rest if they're in danger. And they're not able to rest if they're hungry. They won't lie down if there's a danger around them, if there's a threat to them. It's only when they know that everything is taken care of, when when everything is right, that they're able to lie down properly. Otherwise, they're on their feet and and twitching around, looking to, to see how they can move away from where they are. David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I can rest 
that can lie down in green pastures, that can be led beside quiet waters. I wonder, are you, are you scared of the future ahead? You're scared of dangers that seem to be on your horizon? Anxious about choices you've got you've to make or, or, or things that you've got to do? Harvest in our church in Lisburn um, two today. We were in yesterday. We were collecting a whole lot of food for the food bank in, in Lisburn. And I was there while they were putting some of that together. Uh, and a guy from our congregation came to me and he said, there's a fellow that, that is looking for a church in Lisbon. He's a friend of mine. Uh, and I've told, him, I've told him to come here. And he's come a couple of times, um, but he's only heard you preach once. I'm bringing him back again so he can hear you preach. And I suddenly started to get a real shake. Because <laughs> he was saying, you, you'll, you'll get him. <laughs> he's going to come here and you'll preach and then he'll really like it and he'll come back. Well, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't like what I've got to say? What if he doesn't like me? Uh, what does that mean about me? Do you ever feel like that? That everything's on you? Everything's about you? So much pressure in life to get things right all of the time? Well, I don't think the sheep feels like that. Not in verse two. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything else. I can lie down in green pastures. I can be led beside quiet waters. I don't have to be anxious about the future. I don't have to be anxious about the things that I do or, or don't do, about my performance or what other people think about me. I can rest. Doesn't that sound good? Because the shepherd is in control. I don't need to be in control. I don't need to have everything under my watchful gaze. I can let things go. I can trust that the shepherd is in control and he's looking after everything that's important for me. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you need this rest this morning? The rest of knowing that the Lord is your shepherd, that you need nothing beyond him, that with him you can dwell in green pastures, you can sit beside these still waters because he's in control, and you're not worried about keeping up the, the act of being competent yourself. Verse three, he says another thing. This shepherd actually brings me life. He restores my soul. That, that word soul can be translated as life. It's the same word, really. He restores my life. Here we see how fragile we are and how much we need the shepherd. This is another thing that I've learned from other people, not my own experience. There's such a thing as a cast sheep. Sheep apparently don't have the greatest balance in the world, and when, when they fall over, if they get on their backs, they can't restore themselves to their feet. They just sit with their legs waving up in the air, not moving. Now, I'm sure that looks really funny, but it's actually really dangerous for the animal. There's gases that build up inside the sheep, and if, if it's not right, if it's not put back on its feet quickly, in a hot climate especially, like David was writing in here, the sheep would die, and eventually, in any kind of climate, the sheep will die. So when a sheep fell on its back and couldn't get itself up again, it was a dead sheep unless someone helped it, unless someone put it back onto its feet again. Here's what we are like. Here's how David sees himself. I had no life. I was dead. And then this Lord came to me and he gave me life. He restored my life. He put me back on my feet again. Do you see where we are in the story? We are the sheep with our feet dangling up in the air, unable to move. 
not able to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves, to do anything to, to make our situation any better, but the shepherd comes and, and writes us and restores our life by doing it. We don't need to be special people to have the, the shepherd come to us. We just need to know how messed up we are, how helpless we are without him. And then once he writes us, he doesn't just leave us and say, right, get on with your life now, do your own thing. Here's what he does next. Look at verse three again. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Now that I'm on my feet, David says, he points me in the right way to go. He shows me how to live. Now I'm constantly in Lisbon going over the same thing again with people. It's really important because I think we keep forgetting it. He's not saying here, as long as I go in the paths of righteousness, this shepherd will stay with me. If I show a bit of willing and I I head in the right direction, I start to live the way God wants me to live, then this God will stay with me. He just needs me to to show a little bit of desire in the first place. No, that's not what's happening here at all. We're on our backs with our legs wiggling up in the air, unable to move. And graciously, without deserving one second of his attention, God comes to us and writes us, puts us on our feet. And then because he has become our shepherd in that action, he shows us which way to go and we follow him and we trust him. Because our experience of him proves that we know that he's trustworthy. We don't go in paths of righteousness to please God, to get his attention, for for our relationship with him to begin. We do it because he has come to us when we had nothing and makes himself our shepherd. Why does he do it? End of verse three. This might be quite controversial. Maybe it's not. He does it for his namesake. You benefit from this. I benefit from, from God being my shepherd. It's, it's such a privilege to be his sheep, to, to go in his paths of righteousness, to know his care in our life, to, to know his accompaniment with us in all places. But he does it not just for our benefit, but for his namesake. In Lisburn at the moment, there's loads of building going on. If you're ever driving through Lisburn city center, town center, village center, when you go through Lisburn, there are, there are houses being built all over the place. There are shops being renovated. There are offices being done up, and on each of those building projects, there, there's, a, there's a signpost. We are the developers that are doing it, as Porter's doing this over here, and, and Graham's are doing this over there. And they're doing it for, for the people who are going to live there. They want to make nice homes and, and serviceable uh, offices and, and useful shops. They want to produce a good product at the end, but they're doing it also for their namesake, aren't they? They're doing it so that people will say, what a great company they are. They have the name on the outside of it. You know, if they built a, an office block and then two days after it was opened, it all fell down, it would destroy that company, wouldn't it? I've attached my name to this project. This is mine. So they're doing it for their namesake. We've got to make a good job of this. Our reputation hangs on what we do here. See what God's doing with us. He comes to us. Sheep on our backs, legs wiggling in the air, unable to move, puts us on our feet, starts to lead us in paths of righteousness. Starts to say, this is how you should be. This is what life is like now. And he does it for our benefit, but he does it by putting his name on us too. You belong to me now. And what God is doing in you is for his glory. He's saying, imagine to the world, imagine this person here becoming this person. Imagine that messed up nobody becoming something because I've been working in them. Imagine the the wreck of a life that that this person was leading and, and imagine what I've done with them now. 
this isn't to bring glory to us. We're not capable of doing those changes in our life. But when God makes those changes in our life, it's him that gets the glory. Our name is on him. His name is on us. And he gets glory for what he is doing in our life. Here's someone who has lost everything and yet is still content. Look at what God has done in their life. Look at who God is through what's going on there. You know, this should give us great confidence. If God's name is on us, he will not quit with us. When Graham has put the, the, the building flag up outside of the, the construction that they're doing, they won't quit halfway through that. They won't do a, a half-hearted job. They'll do it the best that they can because their name is on the project. That's where we are with, with our Christian lives. Once this God becomes our shepherd. He puts his name on us and he will continue the work he's doing in us because ultimately it's for his namesake. It's for what people know about him. Let's move on quickly. Last two things. Verse four, the, the, the familiar place that often we come to, what we still have to face. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know the song, there may be trouble ahead, well, David says, it's not that there may be trouble ahead. There will be trouble ahead. There's valleys ahead. Valleys were dangerous places for sheep to go. There were places where wild animals lived. There were places, actually, that could be flooded really quickly, a hard um, surface so with, with the sun baking down on the ground, and then, and then lots of rain quickly sometimes made those valleys into rivers, and, and sheep were swept away. There were shadows everywhere in the valley. You didn't quite know what was around the corner. And yet, see where verse 4 fits. It's just after verse three. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Who's leading him through the valley? It's not an accident, is it? He doesn't find himself by chance in this valley and think I must have taken a wrong turn. This couldn't possibly be where the shepherd wants me to be. No, <laughs> the shepherd's leading him here. He's guiding me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He takes me into the valley. It doesn't have to be just death. There's some um, confusion, some debate about whether this means a shadow of, of death or the shadow of deep darkness. It doesn't really matter. Death is one of the things that we encounter that's hardest to deal with, but there's lots of other things too. So let me say something that I'm sure all of you know, but it's worth remembering constantly. Just because we belong to this shepherd doesn't mean that we avoid hard times. Each one of us, if we're not in the valley now, will go through the valley. We'll hit sickness and disappointment and rejection and failure and death too. But here's what David says. I will fear no evil. <laughs> that sounds daft, doesn't it? How can you not fear evil? Well, he says, you are with me. And when you're with me, I can face anything. When you're alongside me, it doesn't matter what I have to face. God doesn't promise to keep us away from the valley. He promises to be in there with us so that the darkest place that you're traveling at the moment or the darkest place that you will travel, he goes there with you. He accompanies you through there. And it means that even the darkest place is not a fearful place for you. Even death for Jesus' sheep is not a fearful place for us to go 
One Puritan wrote this about this verse. The point of death's arrow is blunted so that it can, it can pierce no deeper than the body. My soul is invulnerable. I don't fear death, he says. All it can do is take away my life. But my real life, my soul with Jesus is invulnerable. It'll never be taken from me. You see, David is saying here, there's nothing that you need to fear when God is with you, even death itself. And as we look at the New Testament story, the gospel message from this, we see this great shepherd, the good shepherd of Jesus, who does lay his life down for the sheep. He gives himself so that we can be forgiven, but then he is resurrected. He lives again, and death in that is defeated. There's no shadows for this shepherd, nothing unknown on the road ahead. Death itself is death. Imagine not being afraid of the future. Not by blanking it out, hoping that it doesn't come past you, or trying to control it yourself, but knowing that you can face anything with Jesus alongside of you. This shepherd is speaking to you here this morning and saying, here, find comfort in me, that the rod and staff, they had lots of different uses, but one of them was that they could be banged together, made a really distinctive noise so that even as sheep couldn't see the shepherd, they knew that the shepherd was there. Do you hear the shepherd's voice in God's word here this morning? Comforting you and saying you don't need to fear because I am with you no matter what you have to face in the future. Finally, just in a moment, what is still to come for us? Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here, this, this great God, the, the timeless and self-sufficient one, prepares a meal for us, gets food ready on the table for us. Now, he's not there to entertain us. He's there to, to share his time with us. This is a, a sharing a, an afternoon meal together. Come and, come and enjoy time with me this timeless and self-sufficient one is saying to us, come and spend your life in my presence. Jesus doesn't give us things that make us happy. He himself is what gives us joy and contentment and fulfillment. And he comes alongside of us and says, come and share this meal with me. Come and share your life with me. And when you do, when you know Jesus in your life in this intimate way, then whatever your outward experience is, whatever things you've got to go through, it is a life, David says, of head anointing, cup overflowing joy. This is not a difficult place to be. It's the only place of satisfaction. You can lose anything else in this life, you see, is what David's saying. And yet being at the table of the Lord, knowing his, his accompaniment in life, knowing his presence around you, knowing his care for you, it's far greater than anything else that you could have. Far greater than anything else that you could lose. And yet there's even more in verse six, isn't there? Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, every moment of every day, in every place. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I will take you to be with me so that you will be where I am. And we'll spend all eternity at the table sharing relationship together in entire and full contentment and satisfaction. You and your maker in the relationship you were designed to be in. 
You see, our sin keeps us from these promises. Our rebellion against God bars us from this kind of joy. It's only this shepherd, this, this shepherd who gives himself for us, who dies for our sin, who is resurrected to bring us hope, that allows us to gain access to Psalm 23. We're not being told here about a lifestyle to adopt things to do and things not to do. We're being shown a shepherd to follow, to ask to put on our feet again and to lead us in the way that we should go. And when we come to him like that, it is possible to dwell in the house of the Lord, to live with God, the timeless and self-sufficient one in your life now, today, tonight, tomorrow, whatever you have to face, and forever, even for cast sheep like us, who might feel as though we're just on our backs and there's nothing that we can do to make life any better. David's promise, his experience of God, is that his cup was overflowing with joy, and that experience will be unbroken even by death. Let me pray for each of us here that the Lord would be our shepherd and that he would give us the contentment and the fulfillment and the satisfaction that comes from knowing him. Let's pray together. Father, we want to confess our frailty in this. There are so many things catch our attention and we think, if only I had, if only I was, if only this, then life would be good. And yet our experience is when we catch hold of those things, the, the pleasure they give is so fleeting and so empty, it disappears so fast. Nothing satisfies. We want to be able to say, like David said, because you are my shepherd, I need nothing else. Father, help us to see the grandeur of your provision for us, the scale of all that you've given to us, the depth of your care for us. I pray for people here who are going through valleys at the moment, dark places in life. Will you reassure them of your presence around them? You go into those places with them. I pray for people here who are not yet Christians, that they would see their helplessness without you and ask you even now to put them right on their feet again, to restore their life to them, and then to begin to show them paths of righteousness. And I pray in our conversations, even as this time finishes together here now, that you would encourage us in our lives to look to our great shepherd and to find in all circumstances all that we need for him in this life and even in the life to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.